What is up, my friends? Welcome to Drop In with Dr. J, where we have open, authentic conversations about all things mental health, including the importance of sleep, sleep hygiene, and battling insomnia. I'm so excited to have on today's guest, who is a clinical psychologist, author, and content creator. She's the founder and owner of a private practice and consultation company. Prior to her psychology career, she was an EMT for five years. I didn't know that. I thought that was super cool. She's most known on social media for providing mental health, wellness content about insomnia, anxiety, and depression. Dr. Kristen Casey, thanks so much for dropping in. Yay. I'm so excited to be here, Dr. J. Before we do the deep dive into sleep, all things sleep related, the teaser for it is Instagram blew up when I put the question box. People got so many questions about sleep. But before we do that, I know you're out here representing tattooed professionals. Can yes. you give us a rundown of the sleeve? Sure. Oh my gosh. I want to hear about yours too. But mostly it's Buddhist themes. I've been practicing and following Buddhism since I am young, really young. So it's been about like, I want to say 16 or 17 years of me practicing and following. And a lot of it is like lotus flowers and a lot of themes that kind of help me remind myself to just kind of be in the moment and stay Zen and things will, things will pass. It's not a big deal, you know, and, and it really does help remind me about just the fragility of life as well. Um, so I have a lot of, a lot of scripture stuff too, lotus flowers, a Buddha, a flower of life, which I think that you have as well. You have a flower of life or not? Our sleeves are so similar, which is I, why I wanted to hit you with this question. I know, I know. And some of it's like a little bit of henna inspired themes too. But yeah, I feel like, okay, so my followers on TikTok were like, Dr. J has your sleeve and like, he's a guy and you're a girl and like, you're the same person. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like that is, th those are big shoes to fill. Okay, like, come on. But yeah, I, I, I would say that we have very similar sleeves. <laughs> and same, same thing of my first experience of like, dealing with suffering within the mental health realm. My first time going to therapy, my therapist was very ingrained in mindfulness practices, mm -hmm. Buddhist practices. And it literally offered me freedom from my suffering of all this fear and anxiety and panic I was having. And since then, yeah, I've gone the yoga teacher training route, huge into mindfulness and stress reduction in Buddhism. But the, the things you have that represent that for you, it's like, I'm like, checking that off. I'm like, yeah, yeah flower <laughs> got Siddhartha on there. I love got, it. Yeah. So many different, so many different things. Yeah. Mindfulness practice is like, I, I don't know. At first I was so intimidated by it. I'm like, how could I just sit and oh just gosh. exist? Like that sounds intimidating. And then once you do it, you like almost get addicted to it. You're like, I want no chaos and I want to be able to just sit. <laughs> so it's crazy. Let me just observe my mind, observe, yep. feel, observe what is happening in this moment. I know it's just so opposite of everything. I and I grew up, I was like a nineties child, like Nintendo. And, and it was already the start of all the things pulling your attention. And I feel like it's only gotten worse that yeah. you're distracted constantly. And it's so hard to find peace when you're constantly being pulled into things. I'm totally with you on that. I think, especially in the 21st century, I mean, we we wear a million different hats, right? And there's a million different things going on at once, going on in the world and in our personal lives. It's hard to just find a sense of, you know, paying attention to one thing without judgment, like one thing mm -hmm. at a time. It is so difficult to find that. And when you do, it's like amazing. Amazing, the calm, the peace, and just the insight that comes from it. Because I know mm -hmm. I'm sure you're the same way every time I meditate or practice mindfulness, like sometimes I'm pissed off. Sometimes I just <laughs> notice I'm agitated. Yeah. Maybe I had a bad night sleep. There's a teaser right there. Oh. You can at least hold though, what is actually going on versus sometimes I'm just drifting through the day, like mindlessly and mm -hmm. projecting on everybody I come across. That's such a good point though, because I almost feel like, like, as, as you were saying that I was reflecting a little bit on like, I feel like mindfulness and like meditation has really helped me give myself unconditional love and like mm -hmm. allow myself to show up as I am without trying to like push it away or like be somebody else. It's like, no, it sucks right now. And we're, we're going to sit with it and we're going to see where it comes, comes from and all of that. And it just kind of helps me feel like my feelings are valid too. And it's just, there's just so many different ways to look at it. Absolutely. It is it, no surprise. So many mindfulness themes has now come into modern psychotherapy yeah. because 
we we create this space of reflection and compassion <laughs> and pause uh, that is naturally healing for so yeah. many of us in our busy lives. Onward to sleep. This, this thing we do. First <laughs> off, why are you so obsessed with it? Let's just okay, go it happened, right to it. it. It happened by accident. I was actually pissed about it. Let me tell you the story real quick. So yeah. um, I was doing my clinical internship at, at the VA and mm-hmm. my supervisor is like was like a sleep guru and she's on Twitter now. It's come full circle. We're like besties now on social media. But um, she was like, yeah, part of part of the training program is you have to run this sleep group. And I'm like, no. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I don't have a choice. So let me just roll with it. Right. Let, let me just figure it out. Let me roll with it. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, who's going to attend this group about insomnia? Like they're going to fall asleep, which is kind of the point, but not, you know, in the group, but like fall asleep, help them with their sleep. Um, and I knew nothing about sleep, but I knew that I had insomnia just from being on the ambulance for five years. And I just could never get a full night's sleep. And I was always like, oh, wow, I guess that is a problem. That's not normal. I ended up running this sleep group. I was so I was so resistant the first day. I was like, I'm going to hate this. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I just don't want to like this. I ended up falling in love. I ended up falling in love and it, the rest is history. I just loved it. And it was a cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia group for veterans. And they showed up and they were so jazzed and excited mm-hmm. to work on sleep. And that made me excited. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, all right. I see you besties. We're in this together. This is great. People got better so quick. And it was way quicker than the other treatments that I was doing. Cause I was working with like PTSD and, you know, IPV, like intimate partner violence and stuff like that. And it was really, really hard over time to like, you know, have this feeling of like, oh, people get better, you know, cause you're with people for a long period of time, but with sleep, people got better so quick. So it was really a, a, like a nice addition to the work that I was already doing. And then I was like, I'm just going to keep this ball rolling. And here I am. So to today, that's what I was going to ask you of like, what the aspects you really loved is improving people's quality of sleep creates sounds like drastic changes in their mental and physical health. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love how you describe that. I think it's like sleep is part of our life pie. So if sleep mm-hmm. is off, then it's, it's likely that other things are going on. Like you're stressed or there's anxiety or there's other things happening that make it difficult to get quality sleep. And when you get quality sleep, sometimes those other symptoms remit and sometimes they stay the same. Everybody's different, but yeah, quality sleep, I think really does help. So your experience of being EMT, it sounds like it's like a lot of people listening to this podcast or whatever, they've gone so long with either disturbed sleep or low mm-hmm. quality sleep that they just think this is the way I am now. Was mm-hmm. it, is that what you were experiencing? Like, did you know it was a big deal at the time? I felt that exact thing, what you just said. I thought it was normal. I just thought that it was like, this is what you do. Like you work a couple of swing shifts, you work the overnight shift, you work the day shift, and you just kind of mess up your sleep cycle and you just hope it works out. Um, I just thought being tired all day and having that daytime fatigue was normal because of my job. I was very burnt out being on the ambulance. Um, I loved that job. It was like great. I miss it sometimes, but my sleep was all over the place. Cause even if I was, you know, I was also volunteering overnight. So I would work my day job come home and then I would have a pager. Yeah, I'm old. So we had pagers back then and the pager would go off and it would be a motor vehicle accident or, you know, cardiovascular incident, something like that. And you just have to wake up and go to these calls and then try to fall back to sleep. And that was the hardest part for me. I'm like, how am I supposed to get back to sleep after all this horrific stuff that I just witnessed? Right. Um, And I just thought it was normal. So I think people are in this headspace of, yeah, I just have to keep going and this is normal, but there are ways to improve your sleep. It might not improve as drastically as you would hope, depending on your circumstances, because everybody has a different set of life circumstances that we have to look at, Um, but you would certainly improve it. And there's tactics for that, which I love. We love tangible things that people can (laughs) do to create change, especially in the mode of psychotherapy where so much can be exploration, processing, Mm -hmm. sort of ambiguous to get to what's gonna work for a person, but something like sleep, I know there can be specific things. So you get this experience working with this sleep guru, what were the things you were noticing about your own sleep? Because you're learning this knowledge, you're running this group. Like, what did you start to observe for yourself? I started to notice a lot of things that I was doing that actually made my sleep worse. So when we think of Spielman's model, he has this, this model for you know how insomnia happens. And there's over 70 sleep disorders and I specialize in insomnia. So difficulty falling or staying asleep waking up before your intended alarm or having a really big dissatisfaction with your sleep. So that's kind of like what insomnia is. 
usually over six months happens at least three times a week. So what I was noticing was I had a lot of anxiety right before bed. I would, I would get like really worked up about like, am I going to get enough sleep? You know, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And I'm sure that you've done this before. A lot of other people, they'll look at the clock and they'll count back like, oh, if I fall asleep now, then I'll get this many hours, you know. But I did notice that, like, I thought that it was just all of it was genetic. Like, I just thought I just wasn't a good sleeper. But when we look at his model, yes, there are predisposing factors, but there's also factors that promote unhealthy sleep habits, right? Like, you know, drinking alcohol late at night or drinking caffeine late at night or because you drink caffeine all day and night, you know, all that stuff. So I'm kidding. That was a little blow. Anyway, <laughs> you already know. Yeah, yeah I know. Story behind that. I've already called you out on that. But anyways, so there's all these behavioral things and behavioral changes that you could make that I just did not think existed. So for me going through this, um, being a facilitator of this group, I was trying to implement things alongside my clients in the beginning and my sleep improved within like three or four weeks. It was really incredible. I could not believe it. <laughs> so. And for people who aren't as knowledgeable about this, they might be like, yeah, what difference does it really make? You know, mm -hmm. a difference of two to three hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about, you know, the correlates of how improving sleep impacts mental or physical health? There's a lot. There's a lot. So I think about the differences between like sleep deprivation mm -hmm. and then like lack of quality sleep and then other sleep disorders. So like other sleep disorders might include like sleep apnea, which untreated sleep apnea, we know from the research, you know, people have a higher rate of cardiovascular incidence as they age, right? And it has a lot of correlations with medical issues. Um, when we think of insomnia, untreated insomnia, so difficulty falling, staying asleep and dissatisfaction with the quality of your sleep. We do notice that the next day, People report feeling irritable, groggy. Their cognitive functions aren't up to par. Um, there's higher rates of absenteeism. More, more people are going to their primary care provider and saying, hey, like, I don't feel good, right? So, you know, you're seeing more doctors. You're not getting enough sleep. You're missing work. You're also feeling pretty bad about yourself because you can't kind of get going. There's also this feeling of like, you know, I'm not potentially, everybody's different. I, I don't feel good enough because I can't really just function. I can't get get with it. So low, low uh, self-worth and self-esteem. And then we do know too, like with chronic sleep deprivation or chronic anxiety or chronic insomnia, I'm sorry, there are rates of, you know, you know, uh, your body's just not functioning well. So you might have more medical issues as you age. Because if we think about it, you know, even just within the DSM, sleep issues are part of many different disorders. So it could be depression, sleeping too much or not sleeping enough, anxiety, stuff like that. So it does impact in many different ways. So it is important, even if you feel like, okay, I'm only getting four hours of sleep and I'm exhausted, who cares, right? If you think about it, 20 minutes a day is one year of your life. I mean, it's like, a, you know, it really does impact things. So I think any amount of sleep that you could get that's quality sleep is very important. Sleeping just to sleep, you know, sleep is for, you know, restoration, not relaxation. So I always like to look at that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The gamut of stuff it can impact. Cause I know for me, the times I've gotten low quality sleep, I feel physically ill. Like I will feel oh, yeah. pain in the body. My <laughs> stomach will be upset. I'll get headaches. And then the emotional aspect, anything is a tidal wave. I, I mean, I literally 100%. mean anything. I can't find yeah. my key. Devastation. Like I'm right. ripping my house apart. I'm angry. I'm contemplating just, you know, sleeping on the street because <laughs> I'm going to burn down the house because I can't find my car keys. Like I, I wish that was an exaggeration, but it just feels like I cannot handle the emotionality of life. It's true though. It's true. Cause I, I mean, and I think of all the things that happen as we sleep and there's so many different things that, that go on. Right. So there's mental reorganization. There's like muscle tissue and cell repair, you know, your body is releasing hormones, you know, um, it assists with attention and concentration, mental organization, right? Like even when we dream, right? Um, so we know a dream interpreter too on TikTok and he says sometimes too, like your dreams sometimes are indications of, you know, potentially, you know, what's going on in your lived life, even if it's not exactly the same content or context, um, it kind of gives you a sense of like, hey, maybe something's not right. Um, I think memory consolidation is also a big one. So if you're going throughout your day, sleep is actually super restorative and it helps you organize things. So when you wake up the next day, like you said, I feel like physically ill, my distress tolerance skills are out the window. I mean, it's, it's very common for people to feel that way with, um, low quality sleep. And then we're going to get into bridging into some of the Instagram questions, but that, not them specifically yet. I just want to tease that a little bit more because okay. there are a lot of them, but how much sleep do we really need? 
It depends on the person and it depends on the age. And I know as psychologists, we always say it depends, but it's true. So Mm -hmm. if we think about newborns and infants, right, they need like between 14 and 17 hours of sleep because of human growth hormone. And they spend a majority of their sleep in, in REM sleep. And as they age, they need less sleep because they're growing. They don't need human growth hormone nearly as much as they do, you know, because it's dispelled overnight or secreted overnight. Um, so as you age, you're not going to need like 14 hours of sleep. Adolescents, 10 hours of sleep, some, something like that. Um, and for adults, anybody who's 25 to 65, it's usually between five and nine hours. It's a pretty big range. Um, for example, I function the best on five and a half hours of sleep. If I have any more of that, I feel very groggy the next Five day. Five and a half, Kristen? Swear. Swear to God. Yeah. I, it took me a while to find that number because I was reaching for eight. And there are people out there who are like, no, I would die on five and a half hours of sleep. That makes sense. That's Everybody's me. Different. I yeah, pass away. You. you would simply pass away. I would just bury you at that point, right? It's just, <laughs> just like- <laughs> My spirit is already gone at five and a half. I, oh my God. I have left earth. Yeah. Like literally I get it. And my brother, on the other hand, he needs 10 hours of sleep or he's just a zombie. Right. So every, again, it's not really about the number. It's about what works for your body because you also have to consider too, that eight hour mark is for healthy, normally functioning individuals. I don't know anybody who has their shit together, like completely, right. There's always something going on in our life, whether it's stress, financial stress, a breakup, you know, um, genetic predispositions for anxiety or depression or like other mental health things, chronic pain, So it might be unlikely that we achieve that eight hours. And for us, Mm -hmm. it might be a little different. So it does vary. I like to get a really good sense of the data when I work with people and figure out a number that works for them. So they have a good like striving moment because if you go from like, hey, I'm only sleeping four hours a night and we want you to sleep nine, I mean, that's a huge jump. So we have to kind of graduate to that point and see if that nine hours actually makes sense for you. I love the ongoing assessment. And you're, wow, you're a great example of someone who does well on that lower sleep margin where for me, it's like, yeah, I'm an eight hour sleeper. Totally. Less than that. It's just deterioration. So when you pick up a new client and you're assessing their sleep, what are some of the things you ask or get curious about? I get curious about how long has this been going on? Mm -hmm. What is it impacting? You know, we do a lot of assessments like the insomnia severity index score, the sleep need questionnaire, the Epworth, I do give a couple of different um, questionnaires for depression, anxiety, PTSD. I like to look at comorbid diagnoses too, because uh, that impacts things and impacts progress. People could still get quality sleep, even with PTSD. It might just take a little longer, right? Just because they're doing other things and battling other things. Um, I also look at medical conditions and medications. So you're a clinical psychologist too. We're not prescribers, but I do like to know the medication that you're taking, when you're taking it, are you experiencing any daytime fatigue or hangover effects? I'm also very, very interested in over-the-counter medications, melatonin, exogenous melatonin, uh, diphenhydramine, which is Benadryl and Zequel. It's the same drug. You know, any other sleep aids that you're using, cannabis, some people use CBD and cannabis, some people use alcohol, depends on when you're using it and, and how often. And what does your bedtime routine look like? So I get a lot of data. People probably get annoyed with me. I ask them so many questions, but it's really, really important because you want to really, really have a good baseline. And everybody's treatment looks different. Like if you use evidence-based treatments, I could use cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, but that's going to look different for every single client, you know? So again, tell me everything about your sleep. Basically tell me about your medications. Tell me about what you struggle with. What keeps you up at night? What, what's keeping you up at night? Um, what struggles do you have? I also like to look at the intersection with culture and diversity as well. So, you know, I'm a white provider. If I'm working with someone who is a person of color, they are experiencing the world way differently than I am, right? So I like to really look at that as well. You know, what are the inequalities that you're facing today? Like, what are your struggles? All that stuff. Um, Because that really does make a big difference. And then um, we kind of take it from there. Yeah. So it's so vast. I mean, that data collection that you just named, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's other things like Mm -hmm. exercise and what what do you do for self-care and checking on stress? I mean, it just seems like you're running the gamut at this point to see all the factors. When for you, is it important for someone to get a sleep study done? Yeah. So polysomnographies, I, um, they're clinically indicated for a medical condition that might impact your sleep. So that might be sleep apnea. Uh, mm-hmm. it's usually indicated for that. So I like, I like to look at the polysomnography data and it really does help when I look at sleep architecture, like how long are you staying in certain stages of sleep? 
because I can't technically assess that without a polysomnography, you don't need it to treat insomnia. It's actually mm -hmm. not as helpful as we might think, at least for me, it kind of just clouds things because we want to focus on like sleep behaviors and changing those rather than focusing so much on the data over time. But for someone with sleep apnea, it's really important because we want to know how many apnea episodes, like lack of breathing they have overnight. Um, I had a client or a couple of clients, you know, between like 60 and 80 apneas a night, like they're not breathing 60 to 80 times. Right. And mm -hmm. if you can imagine lack of oxygen to the brain, it affects a lot of things. So I usually indicate that for, or I usually uh, reach out to sleep specialists for that. If I think it's not just insomnia, if I think it's something else. Got it. Got it. What are some of the worst things we do that impacts sleep? Like, oh, what, gosh. what are the big, give oh, me no. the biggest red flag. <gasps> put them up in the air for us, Kristen. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm really going to out you on many levels here, Justin. <laughs> I hope you know that. Um, <laughs> Everything I'm doing is just wrong. We're just going to bury you now. No, I'm kidding. So, um, so the first thing is uh, caffeine. You know, mm -hmm. so we know that caffeine has a half-life of about five hours. Some people say they could drink a cup of coffee and go right to bed. I don't, I don't deny that. Some people just are not as affected by caffeine. They're not as sensitive. When I think of caffeine, I like to think of what it does to our body biologically. So if you drink caffeine, you know, that doesn't actually give you energy. Caffeine is an adenosine blocker. Let me back up. So you have ATP, which is energy, and then you have adenosine in mm -hmm. your body, right? Over time, ATP, which is energy, it falls off, right? Because you get tired throughout the day. What's left is adenosine. Adenosine lets your body know you're tired. So if adenosine is the only thing running through your system and not ATP, right, energy, then your body's going to be like, wow, I'm feeling pretty tired. I'm feeling pretty groggy. So what do you do? You drink a cup of coffee. It blocks adenosine. So it doesn't really give you energy. It blocks the receptor that lets your body know that you're tired. So when we drink caffeine, we think, oh, we're getting all this energy. It's actually that's not actually what's happening. So I think of caffeine as like, if you're using that, at like even in later, the later part of the day, um, your body is just very confused. It doesn't know like what's going on and it doesn't know that it's tired. So sometimes your circadian rhythm can kind of get messed up because you're not having those internal cues of sleepiness when you should. So that's one thing. That's one big thing that I look for. Mm -hmm. Another thing is consistency. So people who wake up at different times every day, uh, your body gets very confused. So it might not be possible for everybody to wake up at the exact same time every day, even on weekends. Um, if you're partying on Saturday night and you have to wake up at 6 a.m., I mean, you got to make a choice, right? Um, do I stay out with my friends or do I have to wake up at 6? So it's all a choice depending on where you are, but consistency is the best thing for sleep. Um, mm -hmm. So people who are waking up at different times, that will that's a huge red flag um, and it really doesn't help. Because if you think about it, if you wake up at the same time every day, your body starts to operate like a machine. Um, it starts to secrete melatonin at a certain time. You're, you know, you have bowel movements at a certain time, like certain things happen at certain times. And then your body will have those natural internal cues of sleepiness towards the end of the day. And you'll fall asleep a little easier than you would if you're kind of messing that up over time. And then the third thing is uh, when I think about sleep drive, um, I think about like the body's biological need for sleep, avoiding caffeine, avoiding napping. If you want that consolidated sleep at night, increasing exercise and movement, um, and also taking care of your mind mindfulness activities, really trying to reduce stress. That's all going to help you fall asleep at night. So those are the, the major things. Is there any evidence about, we know caffeine gets hidden in, in things. Like I'm drinking a yeah. kombucha right now, which has a yeah. good amount of caffeine in it. Is there any evidence about sugar, about sugar impacting sleep or being a roadblock to sleep? Yeah. So with sugar, I haven't researched that as much, but we do know that if you are eating like heavy meals at night, even mm. if you're eating sugar at night, I mean, it does kind of excite your body in some way. So it might impact sleep for some people that could eat a roll of Oreos and fall right to sleep, you know? Um, but my whole thing is if your body is digesting and trying to do that digestive experience and you are eating sugar, it's going to be really confusing because your body wants to relax and sleep, not digest. So that also takes a lot of energy is, you know, to digest food and stuff like that. And I would imagine that sugar would impact that. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense of your body's doing another process, this digestion, yeah. and you're just like trying to pass out at the same time. What do you think about keeping your bed a place just for sleep? I, I know that's something that's suggested a lot, but you know, some of us study in bed, some of us eat in bed, some of us, you know, live in our bed. Is that a bad mm -hmm. idea? So when you said only using the bed for sleep, it was like music to my ears. 
Like it was just so nice to hear that. <laughs> so, so that's the, that's the ideal ideal recommendation is only using the bed for sleep and sex, sleep and intimacy, right? If you have a bed partner, some people, again, depending on where they are, there might be in a studio apartment. They might not have the means to have like another room and stuff like that to do other things, right? So if you are a person that uses your bed for more than one thing, I always suggest trying to make it work with what you have. So if you are sleeping on the left side of your bed, then if you're awake, be on the right side of your bed, right? It's all about, you know, conditioning. So if you're sleeping, eating, on the phone, stress, doing taxes, all those things, fighting with your partner in one side of your bed, then your brain is going to think, oh, this is where we stay awake. This is where we fight. This is where we argue, right? So if you are having arguments, maybe don't have them in bed, right? (laughs) So using that and having that as a sacred space, I don't have anything in my room other than, you know, a couple of decorations, you know, my bed, comfy things, you know, I don't have any electronics in there besides like um, a wake alarm, like it's like a, a sunrise alarm. And that's literally it. I don't have a TV in there. I don't have anything because I want it to be like a sacred sanctuary for mm-hmm. bed. So so that does lead to the last question I want to ask you before we get to the Instagram questions. Tell us your sleep routine. Oh We're God. not saying you're the pinnacle of sleep here. No pressure. But what, what do you do? What's it look like? Okay. So my partner is going to listen to this and he's going to be like, wait a damn minute. So <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you because he's going to listen. So what I do is, um, so I don't have an actual bedtime. I only have a wake time. So my wake time is 6am every day. Um, I don't focus on the bedtime because there's a lot of different factors that impact that if I'm anxious, if I have stuff to do, like whatever. So I do, I don't have an actual bedtime. I start to just listen to my internal cues of sleepiness. And at that point, that's when I start my buffer time, which is the hour before bed. Um, Once I start to notice, like I'm like nodding off, I'm like not feeling too like awake. I will dim every single light in my house and turn some off, uh, put on really low meditative music. Um, I have the same exact playlist every single night. So my body kind of knows exactly what to expect. I light two candles and I put on pajamas, put on really comfy clothes. I put my phone on do not disturb. There are times when I scroll TikTok, Justin, there are times when I scroll scroll TikTok, not every night. I assumed, but. Yeah, but I don't do it in bed. So if I am going to scroll social media, I do not bring my phone into the bed. I just don't do it. I'm really strict with that. And then I get into bed. I try to fall asleep. You know, I do some meditative activities. I actually meditate right before bed as well. If I cannot fall asleep, just say I'm like, I had those internal cues of sleepiness. I get in bed and I am awake. I will literally immediately get out of bed because the Mm -hmm. bed is for sleep, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm in there awake, it's not going to be too helpful. So if I am getting out of bed, I have a couple of things that I do. I read a really boring book, look at my taxes, things like that, that are like low level activities that I don't really super enjoy, but it'll make me tired. Yeah. And that's basically it. So that looking at your taxes, that for me, that would stress me out. I'm just you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's so boring. Like whenever yeah. I look at numbers, it's like another language. I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, but for some people, like you said, I mean, if that's anxiety provoking, don't do it. <laughs> but I, I, I do love the idea. And that's another thing that I've heard so often is it like, don't toss and turn. If you're not falling exactly. asleep, get out of bed, maybe get under the night sky, some fresh air, but do mm-hmm. something else. Just don't roll back and forth. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that there's this whole, like, don't be on your phone late at night thing. I think if it causes more anxiety to not be on your phone, then it's something to look at. Right. So Mm -hmm. I have the app it's called sky guide and you can see all the planets and stuff. So if I'm really struggling, I will go outside and like, kind of see, Oh, what stars are out tonight. And it kind of gets me in a place of feeling a little more tired and meditative. Technically I'm using my phone. So it just depends. I love that. And that had me reflecting even before we started recording this, that the times my sleep has been the most stable and my cues have been the loudest have been times where I've gone camping, like same being outside in nature, kind of rising with the sun, setting with this, like every time I go camping, by the time it's nightfall, I, you know, I don't know, maybe it's from being outside all day or whatever. By the time it's nightfall, I'm so sleepy. Literally. only times. And that's, there's a biological reason for that. So like your circadian rhythm, it's your sleep wake cycle is housed within the hypothalamus. It's in the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And what happens there is your sleep wake cycle is really, really, really sensitive to consistency. So waking up at the same time every day and exposure to light. So once it starts to get nighttime, your body's like, oh shit, it's time. Whoa. All right, let's do this. And the melatonin's like, let's go. You know what I mean? So the, all that happens when the sun goes down out in nature. That's it. Yeah. We're all just sleeping outside. Someone's listening to this right now, looking outside and it's snowing. They're like, no, thank you. They're That's like, all. I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard pass. Hard for me. Pass. But anyways, uh, 
I'm going to get to this ad and we'll get to those IG questions. So all podcasts have sponsored. We are sponsored by the mental health app, Dive Through. Stress can feel hard to cope with, but it also serves an important purpose, which means we really need to understand how to live with it in a mentally healthy way. I've created a Stress 101 course in that Dive Through app. Learn the reasons behind your stress in your life and discover ways to get relief when there is too much. You'll feel confident you have the tools to manage your stress and make impactful changes in your life. Download that Dive Through app, Apple Store, Google Play. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we all have mental health, but many of us resist getting help because it's inconvenient or we simply don't know where to start. BetterHelp has made the process of getting with a mental health professional easy. In fact, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That's lightning fast. The service is available for clients worldwide. Wherever you are out there, BetterHelp is there for you. You can also log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. This is an awesome feature because we all know things happen between sessions. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in uncomfortable waiting room as you have to with traditional in-person therapy. There is absolutely something to sitting on your own couch, your own chair or furniture in your space and starting your therapeutic journey. Incredibly convenient and comforting. Visit betterhelp.com backslash drop in Dr. J. That's better H-E-L-P backslash drop in D-R-J, all lowercase. Drop in listeners will receive a special promo code for 10% off your first month. Start living a healthier life today. As always, thank you so much for your Instagram questions. We love them. Question off the bat. I wake up several times in the night, which leaves me feeling exhausted during the day. How can I fix this? Fix everything in my life. The I love last that. Part I just added. I was just adding <laughs> a little dramatic twist. But Oh my gosh. Let's embellish a little. No, that's a really good question. So <clears throat> what the person is asking is, how do I get more consolidated sleep at night? How do I sleep through the night? And when we have frequent awakenings, it's usually an indication that either your sleep drive is not very high, meaning like the body's biological need for sleep. You haven't moved around a lot. Um, if you're sedentary all day, you can't expect your body to need a lot of sleep. You, you might not need it, right? Um, <clears throat> so really figuring out, am I napping? You know, how much caffeine am I drinking? Am I drinking alcohol? Am I drinking anything that's a stimulant that's going to keep me awake? If that's taken care of, if you're waking up at the same time every day and you're still feeling like I don't have consolidated sleep, you might be getting into bed too early. And I always suggest an earliest bedtime for people. I don't have a bedtime. Some people want somewhat of a bedtime. Um, so if you're waking up at 6 a.m., you would count back, you know, maybe six, seven hours. And then that would be your earliest bedtime. You would only get into bed at that time, no earlier. Even if you have those internal cues of sleepiness, you kind of wait. And what earliest bedtime means is you only get into bed if you have those internal cues of sleepiness. If your earliest bedtime is 1030 and you're wide awake, that means you're not getting in bed. So I, I like to kind of come up with somewhat of a structure and that might be helpful. Um, also, it's important to note too, you know, is arousal an issue? I know that's not something that we've talked about. Arousal is a fancy word for anxiety. Like, are you worried about stuff? Is that keeping you awake? You know, is that waking you up in the middle of the night? If that's the case, um, scheduled worry time might be a good technique. Love, love all that. And again, something that I hadn't thought of, of like, you know, you can be like, it's time for bed. It's 10. But what you're suggesting is start to listen to your cues, because if you're in a sympathetic state, all sped up, you're anxious, it might not actually be time for bed. We might need to do a few things to help, again, regulate or slow down a bit. 100%. Like we want to engage the parasympathetic nervous system. That's like the whole point. Absolutely. After a full day of work, why is it so hard to fall asleep, even if I'm tired on my way driving home? Oh my gosh, I love this question. So we think about the three pillars of insomnia treatment. The first is sleep drive, body's biological need for sleep, right? Like, have I napped? This person has been working all day long. So their sleep drive is probably incredibly high. The second is circadian rhythm. Are you waking up at the same time every day? Even if those two things are taken care of, if you are anxious and your brain is nonstop, that will keep you up no matter what, because it's a survival tactic. Back in the day when we were 
hunter-gatherers, among other bears and predators, this was actually really helpful for us to survive. You know, even if we were exhausted, our body could keep going um, without sleep because we wanted to survive. So in the 21st century, it's just more annoying because there's no bears coming in our house, depending on where you live. Um, so really kind of getting your mind in a place of feeling a little more calm, a buffer time might be helpful feeling, you know, Hey, let me do some meditation. Let me do some relaxation training, progressive muscle relaxation. And you might want to practice this throughout the day. It's almost like practicing for a marathon. You're not just going to go run it. You're going to practice before the marathon. So same thing. So practice these relaxation tactics throughout the day, maybe take a break from work. If you know, your work allows and do some meditative practices. Love all that. I sleep better when the Wi-Fi is off. I, I, when I read this question, I was like, yes, I need to hear Kristen's take on this. Is it weird that I sleep better with the Wi-Fi off? Is there any brain science that I should know about that impacts this? Oh my gosh, this is such a unique question. I actually do not know. I Okay, and I don't even understand Wi-Fi in general. Like what even is it? Does it travel I, through the air? I don't know. So yeah. <laughs> I don't even know that it's real. I have no clue, sure. right? But um, I wonder if there's some sort of like mental association the person's making, right? Like if the Wi-Fi is off, that means I'm disconnected. And if I'm disconnected, I can't really do much but sleep. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. The psychologist in me loves that. Even if there there is data or is yeah, not data, yeah. I'm not sure either because of about expectancy effects of like, totally. if you have the expectation that I hit the switch or I unplug this cord and now you said it beautifully, now I'm at peace and disconnected. We know the impact that has on our body, not just mentally, but physically. Totally. That makes a ton of sense. I totally would not have thought that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, maybe I'll do a deep dive after the episode to see, is there any data on this? I know. I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to Google it when we get off. <laughs> so interesting. Why am I so angry when I get woken up? Listen, oh. same, same. <sighs> this person says the alarm is fine, but if a person wakes me up, I'm immediately angry. I feel like I see red when people wake me up. I really mm -hmm. do. I, it sounds like you do too. Oh, yes. If there's ever a threat level where Dr. J would be physically violent, it is absolutely if I was woken up. I'm immediately in fight or flight and I'm ready to fight. Totally. Totally. I mean, I think of it this way. I don't know any like court, like direct correlations, but I would imagine that like, if you're being woken up, it's technically out of your control really. And you are on edge, right? Like sympathetically, like you're like, oh my gosh, like, is this a threat? What's going on? And I'm sure that when you wake up to your alarm, it's an expected noise and it's, it's expected sound. And we love being in control of things, right? So if your alarm is going off, you might hate it, but you might be like, okay, that's an indication to wake up. Whereas if somebody else is waking you up, I know when I get woken up, my first thought is like, who died? Are we good? What's going on? Like, like my mind immediately goes to like catastrophe, even though that's not really what's going on. I'm just late or something. Yeah. There could be many reasons. It's so interesting that the person waking us up is like an alarm, but yeah. our alarm itself is something we've habituated to that we're like, oh, we know that chime. Like I know there's all those TikToks of people in their dreams dancing to their-, <laughs> their I, love, I love that trend so much. I literally stitched that and I was crying. I was like, I couldn't catch my breath. I was like, this is so good. People are so creative. I couldn't, I was dying. Oh my gosh. But it, it, it makes a lot of sense. We've habituated to that thing. But if you come barging in my room and wake me up, I'm not, I'm like, where's the fire? What totally. the hell is going on? You yeah. Know? I wonder if it's like a Pavlovian thing, like, you know, like the meat powder with the dogs, you know, if we, I don't know. It, it has to be, it has yeah. to be again, like, It'd be, it would, would be interesting is if we all change our, our sleep alarms Stop. to like, oh my God, to something else. Like, let's all just run this study, change your sleep alarm to some other tune. See how you wake up then. Cause I think I'll wake up angry. I'll be like, what the hell is that? You want to know something? One of my friends, they changed my alarm to like quacking like ducks one time. And I was Justin, I was so shook waking up. I was like, am I at a farm? What's going on? I was freaking out. It was just my alarm, but it was just a different noise. Yeah. I think, I think it's the novelty. There's something there. All right. I'll experiment with that. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Sleep supplements. Yay or nay? Z-Quill? Question mark. Oh, oh my God. So I will that, say. That was a cringe, by the way. That was a cringe. That was, that was a, cringe. a full cringe. That was a full-blown cringe. So the cringe is for, you know, when we think about the research and the evidence out there, when we're looking at chronic insomnia, so 
difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, dissatisfaction with their sleep that happens at least three times a week for six months or more, usually medications are not as effective as cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And there's, it makes, it kind of makes sense because if you've habituated, right, and you've been doing all of these behaviors that really impact your sleep, you want to change those behaviors up to get better sleep. Acute insomnia is anything that's, you know, less than that, basically, you know, you're, you're just really struggling with sleep, maybe jet lag, you're in another time zone. Medications are normally more effective for that sort of insomnia, you know, hey, I just got to get back on a schedule real quick, or I got to wake up for a plane tomorrow. So I got to go to sleep early to catch up on sleep. That makes sense. When I think of diphenhydramine, which is equal um, Benadryl, it really inhibits us from getting into those deeper stages of sleep. So it kind of messes with our sleep architecture just a little bit. And people do wake up feeling very groggy and unrested. So I think really the choice point is, do I want to fall asleep and wake up groggy? Or do I want to naturally go to sleep and potentially wake up a little tired, right? So I think it's a choice point for people. Some people live and die by Z-Qual. I feel like I die the next day. I don't know. Everybody's different. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but... You're getting to a good point, which is what I was listening to on another podcast about sleep of some things may help us fall asleep, but mess with our deep stages of sleep. And what they were mentioning on this podcast was marijuana in particular, Mm -hmm. not CBD, which is something I'll ask you about, but marijuana and alcohol. Like they can help someone fall asleep. But what we know is that they really mess up people getting full restorative sleep. 100%. You you said it beautifully. I wouldn't change a thing. I think that's exactly it. And I think with alcohol in particular, if you, I always like to use a harm reduction approach. So if you are using cannabis or you're using alcohol, if you're using it earlier, you know, then your body has time to process and like, you know, get through all that, all those toxins, right? So that when you do fall asleep, your body's not doing double work and it feels like it could just focus on sleep. Yeah. Alcohol really reduces the latency to fall asleep, the time it takes you to pass out. But people normally wake up throughout the night. They have more frequent awakenings. They wake up with night sweats and they don't feel like they got quality sleep. So exactly. What's your opinion on melatonin? Because again, I had just heard on another podcast that melatonin is starting to like go the way of the buffalo. People are not recommending it as much because it's like a sledgehammer. Like the amount of melatonin you just shock your system with can (laughs) disturb this deeper sleep. Do you have an opinion on that? Do you try to get people not to use it? Is it kind of the same as you just described with cannabis or alcohol? Yeah. So exogenous melatonin is a little different than those other substances, Mm -hmm. but I like how you described it. It is like a sledgehammer. So you make your body naturally secretes melatonin and it will naturally secrete it at the same time. If you wake up at the same time every day, your body is on a 24 hour cycle. So you won't need technically to take exogenous melatonin if your body is in a consistent rhythm. And when we take melatonin, it doesn't make us tired. It starts like the orchestrated event of all the different steps to get to the point where you're tired, right? So it's like the person, uh, if you're running a race, the person who like, you know, blows the whistle, that's what melatonin is. It doesn't win the race for you. It just lets you know, we're starting, here we go. Um, So if you're taking an influx of that, your body will see that as it doesn't notice, it doesn't know the difference between exogenous melatonin and the melatonin that's naturally secreted. So it'll notice that melatonin, the exogenous melatonin be like, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta hurry up and go to sleep now. We gotta, we gotta, gotta rally the troops. Let's go, you know? And then once you start to fall asleep, that exogenous melatonin wears off over time and people tend to have a little more awakenings throughout the night because if melatonin is not there anymore, your body is like, maybe it's time to wake up. I don't know. So, and I also think too, that people are taking these very large amounts of melatonin and a lot of that is secreted out anyway, because your body doesn't know how to use all of that. So it really just depends. And it depends on the person's goals. Like if people are using melatonin it is, and it is working and their prescribers like, hey, continue, by all means continue. Like everybody's different. But I, I like to be curious about it. Yeah, absolutely. For me, every time I've tried melatonin, I have the most vivid dreams that when I wake up the next day, it feels like I never slept. I'm me like, too. I just felt like I just <laughs> lived in the dreamland for seven hours and I'm exhausted because I remember these vivid, sharp details that I'm like, that was, I'm tired of all the things I just did. Yes. yes. And I, I, there is some research out there. I would have to like, look at the articles and stuff, but my understanding is that when we have a tendency to remember our dreams, especially vivid dreams, that means that we have been in REM sleep, the most active stage of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we have the tendency to remember most of our dreams. So I do wonder if melatonin keeps us in those lighter stages or those different stages of sleep. And we're not getting into those deep stages. I don't know, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Good theory. 
I can only sleep with a podcast on. At least I'm getting to sleep. But is that the right thing to do? That's a good question. So I like to, again, harm reduction approach, right? If people need noise to fall asleep, I would just set a timer for it. You know, so because if you think about it, if you're sleeping and this podcast or this TV is blaring in the background, your brain is still responding to that, even if you're sleeping. So I would wonder about like that mental reorganization and how your body is tending to those like sleep experiences, you know, while this is playing in the background. Just firing these off at you now, even if I sleep a full night, I could literally fall asleep at any moment on the couch. Why? Oh, my goodness. So what that person's asking is, why do I have so much daytime fatigue, even though I slept? So I like to look at two things. Either the quality of sleep that you're getting is not quality sleep, right? Or there's another medical condition, right? Daytime fatigue and sleepiness. I like to think about what about medications? What about sleep apnea, right? What about other things that might cause you to not get quality sleep overnight? So I always like to look at other um, diagnoses as well. For that person, do you think it makes sense they go to an MD? Should they see a psychologist like yourself that's trained in sleep? Like where, mm-hmm. where would they go? It depends on their goals. If they yeah. if they want medications or they want, you know, hey, I, I need like one thing to fix it, then a primary care physician might mm-hmm. be helpful. If they're looking to get a deeper analysis of sleep in terms of like behavioral changes that they can make, maybe a provider like me, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. There's also these CBTI apps out there now as well that people could use that are relatively cheaper than seeing a, um, a therapist. And then that therapist or that provider will also be able to say, okay, this is a lot more than insomnia. Maybe here's a referral to a sleep specialist for a polysomnography to see what's going on. Gotcha. Why do I keep waking up every night at 2 a.m.? A lot of people ask the version of this question. Okay. It's either okay. 2 a.m., it was 3 a.m., it was yeah. sometimes like right before my alarm. But essentially, why am I waking up at a specific time every night? So that leads me to believe that your body is in somewhat of a consistent schedule. It's annoying, right? And nobody likes waking up in the middle of the night, but your body is being consistent. It's telling you something. It's either saying we're good. We don't need more sleep, which is unfortunate at 2 a.m., right? That there's this, there might be, right? I like to look at this like advanced phase and delayed phase sleep syndromes, people who are falling asleep really, really, really early and then waking up early or late and waking up late. So it might be a circadian rhythm issue. It might also be that your body really doesn't really need sleep, that much sleep. And also to just normalize, people usually have at least two awakenings a night. For people who are sleeping throughout the entire night, that sounds incredible. It's uncommon though for some people. So I think there there is a tendency to have these awakenings, but they're usually brief. If these people are waking up at 2 a.m. and they could like run a mile, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd be be concerned about their sleep quality. So got it. Buy or polyphasic sleep. Yay or nay? A lot of people asked about polyphasic sleep. Is this now in vogue? I had to, I had to remind myself what that meant. Like, why did this become popular all of a sudden? You know, I think there's a lot of people talking about different ways to achieve quality sleep. And I, and I love it. I love it. It's almost like clients who are like Googling their diagnoses and they come in and be like, I think this applies. It's like, let's explore, you know, like, let's figure it out. So when I think of the different ways that people could sleep, some people actually sleep in chunks. Some people actually sleep in two chunks and they're like good to go. Some people need consolidated sleep. So I think of it, what is your goal? Do you want that consolidated sleep at night? Or are you cool sleeping in two different chunks. You know, there are some people out there that are like, the chunk thing is like messing me up with work. I need consolidated. Then we kind of work towards like, how can we kind of keep you awake for a little longer, you know, without compromising like functionality to the point where your body is yearning for that quality sleep. And you have those internal cues of sleepiness late later in the day. Um, For some people having those two separate, you know, experiences actually work really well. And it might be a natural experience for people. I don't really research it too much. I kind of just base it on the person's goals. You know, if, if you do want to sleep consult, like just one solid block of like seven hours, like we'll get you there. But I like to work with people's bodies too. Some people have a tendency, you know, to have like, you know, just say they're like more of a night owl or a morning lark. You know, some people just have a tendency to sleep in different segments and that's okay. There's nothing technically wrong with it, but yeah, I've had to Google it too. Cause it wasn't part of my training. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, is this a new concept, but it's yeah, been around what? for a while. So interesting to think that again, because yeah. the the standard, which I understand is like, yeah, you go to bed, this one phase, and then you wake up. But mm-hmm. what you're saying, there's individual difference here. And some people are finding success 
you know, waking up at different times and maybe again, breaking that up into different chunks. Yeah. It depends on your life circumstances. I think the whole like consolidated sleep at night makes sense if you work a nine to five, right? It, it makes sense if you have to wake up at a certain time and you don't really have other times to sleep. If you have free reign over your schedule, just say you might choose to sleep at different times and technically that's okay. Um, when I think of it, if people are trying to get that consolidated sleep at night, we try to reduce naps. So any naps under 30 minutes are good. Sometimes it's like a safety nap. If you're like literally nodding off, you might like lay down for 30 minutes, not in your bed on a couch. But anything more than that, you might get into a sleep cycle, you know, sleep cycle is like 60 to 90 minutes. So if you are like sleeping a little more, your body might be actually capturing a full cycle. And if you are noticing, hey, I'm sleeping like four or five hours as a nap, it might not be a nap, it might be like sleep, you know. Interesting. Right. Last question. I know we've, we've run out of time. <laughs> Does the time of day you're getting your sleep matter? Like if I get eight hours of sleep, at night versus eight hours of sleep through the day, does it matter? In my opinion, no. So there are people who work the night shift. The key here is to keep that exact same schedule, right? Mm, and if it's at night, just say you're awake at night and you know you sleep during the day, keep the lights on at your house. I know it's dark out, br brighten up your house, make sure that your body knows that it's time to stay awake. Um, you could work with it that way. I remember when I worked overnights, I would have to like literally stay up while my family was sleeping and I would like, be upstairs, all the lights were on downstairs is where they slept. So it was a little easier, but technically if you are getting the sleep, you're getting the sleep. There's no right way. I think it's similar to the myth that, you know, you know, morning people are more productive than people who work overnights or people mm -hmm. who work later in the day. Technically you're still productive. It's just a matter of what your preference is. We have covered the gamut so much. So I, I feel like there's more to talk about. I maybe, know, maybe I know. We, we need you to come back again at some point. We'll talk no, more about never, sleep. We, never again. No, I'm kidding. You're, you're like, this was, <laughs> this was enough of a bad experience. You're like, this was terrible. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I am. I'm just so thrilled to be here. I appreciate you taking the time and thanks for the opportunity. Of course. Well, how can people follow you? You have all this great content. I know you're active on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Just give me a follow. Um, I'm more active on Instagram now. Um, Dr. Kristen Casey. Yeah. That's probably the best place to find me. TikTok. I am active on more active on uh, Instagram though. So. Awesome. Kristen, thanks so much. Everybody listening in, share it, review it. Let me know what you're thinking of these episodes. Always appreciate y'all. We'll see you next time. <laughs>